0: Let's get our Bibles out. Let's open to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just grab the Bible in front of you, turn to page 1196, and you'll be in the right spot. Luke 11. Be a, it's a very important uh, day today, as every Lord's Day is, but today we'll be uh, talking about a very personal, practical issue to every one of us, and my prayer all week has been that God would uh, give us clarity and open our hearts and that we would all be open to change this morning. I believe if we will look at this issue of prayer the way Jesus lays it out, we will see that there are many things that we presuppose about prayer that aren't necessarily correct, and there are things Jesus teaches about prayer that will greatly enhance our understanding of and our ability to pray, and our desire to pray. Luke 11, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we ask you, Lord, to help us today. Help us to hear from you. Help us to understand your word. Lord, speak to us, teach us, and show us. God, we receive this perfect word as a gift from you to us. Lord, we know it was meant for us, and we pray, God, we'd receive it in gladness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Read with me in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when He ceased, that one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, day by day, our daily bread, and forgive us our sin. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go into him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And He will answer him within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though He will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because his persistence, He will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks... Receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now that is an amazing passage of Scripture. There are places in this passage that are considered to be some of the hard sayings of Jesus, and I submit to you the reason why they're considered to be that is because they're so... uh, Controversial. They're so hard to, to figure out exactly what Jesus is saying. And I believe that the reason why so many people find this to be a confusing passage of Scripture is because they take a piece of it and not the whole. Normally, I wouldn't take a piece of Scripture quite this large in one sermon, but you have to address this in its entirety or you're going to get tangled up and get mixed up and end up somewhere where you don't need to be. So what I want you to do is I want you to remember that two weeks ago when we left off, we were talking about prayer. And we were in Luke chapter 9, and we saw that in verse 37, uh, the disciples were down uh, in a big controversy at the foot of a mountain, and Jesus and Peter, James, and John were coming down just after the transfiguration. And so what we were talking about was the fact that Three of the disciples were with Jesus on top of the mountain and Jesus revealed His glory. There's this unbelievable watershed moment in Scripture where the glory of God is revealed right there to these three disciples. And so the high point of their life occurs right there. And as they're coming down the mountain, they encounter the other nine disciples in a big dispute with a large crowd. And the dispute is centered around the fact that the other nine disciples are unable to heal this boy. And what was amazing about that whole passage of Scripture is that Jesus had already given all of His disciples, all 12 of them, He had already given them the authority to cast out demons and to heal people and to go out on their own and to do ministry, and they had been greatly successful at doing that. But now, just a few days later, here we find them unable to heal this boy. And so Jesus comes down. He makes this very harsh statement. He says to His disciples, Well, how long must I bear with you? And out of, you can sense He's frustrated with them. And so Jesus takes the boy, heals the boy, and they go about their way. And later they go into a house and the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, why were we unable to heal Him? And Jesus said, Because this kind can only be accomplished through prayer and what we talked about is the fact that we want to be a people that does this kind of ministry that in other words you can do a lot of things without prayer but they're really of no eternal consequence you can be busy you can do all sorts of things you can be involved in all kinds of activities but if you're not praying if prayer's not a part of it then really nothing big is going to happen nothing eternal is going to happen Now, today, let's ask some questions before we jump into this. Because I know that universally, prayer is a struggle. I know that very few people in this room are satisfied with their prayer life. Because most people struggle to pray. And I would submit many believers really don't pray at all. Because what this passage teaches first and foremost is is that if you would fall into the category of the person who only prays when there's a catastrophe in your life, when there's a calamity in your life, then really what you're engaging in is not even Christian prayer at all. Because everyone does that. Have you ever heard the, the statement that there's there's no atheists in foxholes? It's true. You see, I've never walked into an emergency room where someone was laying there uh, in this life or death moment and found a family unwilling to pray. And I'm talking about unbelieving people. I'm talking about, I've I've been in many, many hospital rooms and many, many situations with believers and their lost family members who would reject Christianity, mock their own family members, won't have anything to do with anything. If you say Jesus, they would just begin to curse you out. But in a life or death situation, they're like, Pastor, will you pray? So if that's you, that's not even Christian prayer. That's just the automatic response of desperation. And you see, I'm afraid that might be a big part of the only praying going on in some of your lives. Now, why is it so difficult for us to pray? Let's think about these nine disciples, first of all. Let's just think about their situation. Why had they stopped praying? Why were they not being faithful in what they need to be faithful in? I think it's the same reasons that we don't pray. I think that they knew they were gifted to do certain things. And so once they realized they were gifted to do certain things, they thought, well, why pray? I can do them. I'm gifted to do them. I think we do that. We realize that there are things we can do that God's gifted us to do. And then we just start doing them and then we just leave God out of it as if He doesn't have anything really to do with it anymore. And what happens is, we can do it, but it's of no power. You see, they were going through the motions, but there was no power. The other problem is doubt. You see, we're not really sure about why we're praying or exactly what's going on. And that's where the frustration comes in. You see, we doubt, really, is it doing any good? In other words, if you pray about something and then it happens, isn't it true that sometimes you think, well, would it have happened anyway? I mean, even if I didn't pray, wouldn't it have happened? So you're not really sure if it did any good. And then if you pray and it doesn't happen, if you ask God to do something and He doesn't do it, then... Did He hear you at all? I mean, is it just that it shouldn't have happened and that's why it didn't? Or He's not listening to you? Or is there some reason He's not hearing? or And so you get frustrated and defeated and then pretty soon you don't pray anymore because you're just not sure. You're not sure what you're supposed to be accomplishing. You're not sure how it is you go about it. And there's all these misconceptions that lead us to believe that maybe sometimes, even as His children, things are just going to sort of go along and and happen anyway. And I'm not really sure it's even accomplishing anything. And how do you pray when you're in a, a really dark place? How do you pray when... When all hope seems to be lost. How do you pray when the doctors have already said there's really no hope, it doesn't matter. The cancer has advanced too far. You're going to die. How do you pray then? How do you pray when you're facing a circumstance or a situation where there's really no hope? What 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 do you need to understand? What do we need to do? Is there a way to pray successfully? Is there a, a way to, to pray that, that is a kingdom prayer? A prayer that, that, that Jesus would teach us to pray in this manner? And how does that work? What is just the simple, practical nature of this prayer? That's what this passage teaches So let's just take this apart verse by verse and see how far we can get. First of all, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, I want you to see. Now, when it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, that when he had ceased, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, first of all here's the disciples, and they're there with Jesus, and they're listening to Him pray. That's important. Because this whole question, this whole desire, comes from hearing Jesus pray, which is why I would submit to you that it's so very important to listen to people pray. Parents, you need to pray audibly in front of your children. you children need to hear you pray because we learn to pray by hearing others pray. we we get a desire to pray by hearing other people pray. So praying together is important. It's good to pray out loud. So they hear Jesus pray and then they ask, Lord, teach us. Now let's think about a couple of things that are just apparent here. First of all, notice what the disciples did not say. Notice that the disciples did not hear Jesus praying and then think to themselves, well, there's no possible way I could pray like that. I mean, that prayer was so complex, so theological. He prayed in such an uh, amazing secret language. He prayed in Hebrew. He prayed in Aramaic. It was, there's no way we could ever humanly do that. They didn't do that. They heard Jesus pray in such a way that it was simple enough for them to feel like they could ask Him to show them how to do that. That's important. The second thing I want you to see is I want you to see what Jesus didn't say. When they asked the Lord, show us how, Jesus did not say to them, just pray any way you want. Just say anything. He didn't say that. So apparently... Prayer is simple enough that anyone can do it, but there is a way. It's not just say anything. There's a way to pray kingdom prayers. And verse 1 shows us that. Kingdom praying is not repeating the same thing over and over. See, you'll notice, many of you, I mean basically all of you, We'll notice that this prayer this this model that Jesus gives is much like what we call the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6 but it's different. There's a whole bunch of things missing. Why? Because he prayed that prayer months earlier and he's now teaching the same thing but in a different context which simply proves that this is not a prayer that needs to be recited. It's simply a model of how to pray. But reciting this, although there's nothing wrong with reciting it, that's not the point. That's why he didn't say the exact thing. If it was the exact prayer that we all needed to pray and only this prayer, don't you think he would have said the same thing that he said in Matthew chapter 6? So let's look at this and let's see some things about this, this outline of prayer that Jesus gives. You see, first of all, we need to have a desire to pray. So the disciples come and they have a desire to pray. Lord, teach us. Then Jesus gives this outline that that begins to deal with our desires. That's what this is about. Verse 2. Jesus said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. In other words, desire, first of all, His glory. This is about desiring the glory of God. Father in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. In other words, may your fame and your renown and your glory be preeminent in my life. It's your glory that I begin to pray for. I say, God, please let your glory go through me and out into this world. Your kingdom come, not mine. In other words, you can see that in this verse 2, there's a desire for the glory of God to come into the life of the prayer. But there's also a dissatisfaction with life apart from that. In other words, your kingdom come. That's what we want is your Lord, your kingdom, not our kingdom. You see, when we, when we approach prayer, I think this is one of the big hindrances to our prayer lives is that people who are delighted with life on earth, people who don't understand that they're aliens here, that this isn't our home, this isn't where we belong, that this world wasn't created to be our satisfaction that there's more, that we long to be in heaven, that we want to make the most for His glory of the time that we have here, but our desire is to be home with Him in glory. That's where we belong. So this first initial uh, uh, component of prayer is a desire for glory and a dissatisfaction for life apart from His glory. So that's how we approach it. The psalmist says in Psalm 115:1, 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but Your name give glory. You, Lord. You see, the psalmist is crying out, God, Your name, Your glory. I want Your name to be glorified. Why do you think we pray in Jesus' name? You see, many people will, will pray all these things... And then get to the end of the prayer and say, in Jesus' name. But here's the question. Was it in Jesus' name? Was all the things that you prayed for, were they in Jesus' name? One commentary I read, the, the, commentary, the, the commentator was proposing that we begin our prayers within Jesus' name. And then end in, in Jesus' name to keep our minds focused on what we're praying. Because we say a lot of silly things in prayers, you know, that that, all we want this and we need this and Lord do this and then in Jesus' name. But is it? You see, we have to begin with a desire for His glory. Then Jesus says that we're to say, well, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's first a desire for His glory. Now we see there's a desire for His will that what we want is the lord's will not our own proverbs 19:21 says there are many plans in a man's heart nevertheless the lord's counsel that will stand in other words we can come up with a lot of foolish things can we not what we don't want to do is come to the lord in prayer and with some sort of arrogant idea that we have the right idea of what needs to happen in any solu- any situation or any solution Now, there are times where we can pray according to God's Word and we know that that's His will. For example, you're never going to be out of God's will praying for God to save a certain individual. You see, because we know that's His will. But when we're in situations and circumstances in our lives, what we want is His will, not our own. Because we're not really sure what the best thing is because we don't have the knowledge that God has. And so we need to caution ourselves against our ideas. Now, that doesn't mean you don't tell God what's on your heart. But what it does mean is that your desire is for His will. That is important. And let's move forward. Verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. Here we see a desire for His provision. Now, notice bread just bread nothing extravagant not your favorite food not filet mignon bread I don't know if it's bunny bread maybe it's French bread I don't know but it's bread that seems kind of boring to me in other words here we are praying to the God of the universe the one who sustains all things and we get bread why bread why not a little more than bread I mean, at least give me something to dip it in. Here's why. Jesus said in John chapter 4, "...My food is to do the will of Him who sent me." In other words, Jesus continually puts forth this idea that He sustains Himself by accomplishing the will of His Father... And the daily bread of the believer is to do the will of God. That is our bread. You see, we eat to do His purposes, to accomplish His mission on this earth, to surrender our wants to His. That's the idea behind bread. That's the idea behind manna. That's what this is for. It is to sustain us to accomplish what He has for us. So Jesus is... This is nothing new. He's just affirming what we already know. You see, because what happens if we go beyond bread? Well, there's a wonderful verse in Proverbs chapter 30. In fact, this verse I think is so wonderful that I put this verse on my son's wall for him to see every single day of his life. It says, Remove falsehood and lies from me, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is such an important passage of Scripture because what it teaches is that we need to pray and ask God to give us only what we need because we can't be trusted with an abundance and we will act a fool when we don't have enough. That what we want is just what He gives us. And to be happy with that. And to live our lives according to that. What a great principle to understand as we have all of these hopes and aspirations in life. We need to make sure that all these worldly things that we endeavor for... You know, if you just think, think through this with me for a second. How many times have we had this same conversation where I will say to you, oh, the blessing. I hear it all the time. Oh, the blessing of I got a new you fill in the blank and the new whatever it is that so-and-so got, suddenly they miss one out of every two Sundays. Then pretty soon... They're only here once a month. Then pretty soon, we don't see them. And why? Because they got a new boat. They got a new camper. They got a new this. They got a new that. And then, and so the new thing has become a problem. In other words, I don't want a new thing unless God wants me to have a new thing. And when we pray, we want to pray for just our daily bread. God, just give me what I need. I don't want too much because I can't be trusted with too much. I can't be. Verse 4. Forgive us our sin, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, what is the desires that that are jumping out at you here? First of all, you see this desire for His grace. Forgive us of our sins. Now, The question begs to be asked, well, why would we pray, forgive us of our sins if we've already been forgiven? Because you're still sinning. And even though it's forgiven, your heavenly Father loves to bless you with grace upon grace upon grace. John chapter 1, verse 19 says this, And from all of His fullness we have received grace upon grace. And that the Lord delights in blessing His children. And we need to continually come to Him in prayer and confess our sin. Even though we're His children, even though we've been forgiven, 1 John 1, 9 would command us to do that because then we're cleansed of all unrighteousness. That is good for us. We need to be reminded that we're sinners and that we need His grace and that we have a desire for His grace because if you and I don't desire His grace, what happens? We're full of pride. But when we desire His grace... You see, you can't desire grace and be prideful. Because if you're, if you're so great, why do you need grace? You see, desiring grace is basically saying, I'm a failure. So Jesus says when you pray, you desire His grace. But not only that, look at what He says as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That not only do we desire His grace, but we distribute His grace. That we desire His grace, but we give it to other people. You see, because if we're the kind of person who would receive grace, but then not give grace to someone else, Like if we were someone who, say, might be found in a parable somewhere who was forgiven much but then refused to forgive someone of a little? You see, that would be be wrong. That would not be someone who's desiring grace from a humble, sincere heart. And so the mark of someone who truly desires grace is someone who distributes the grace that they desire. So we see... There's a desire for His glory, a desire for His will, a desire for His provision, a desire for His grace, and even the desire to distribute His grace. Now, let's get into the tricky part of this passage. So here's the foundation. Now, Jesus is going to begin the explanation. In other words, okay, so basically, so far, here's what we have. Everything is about Him and it's really not about us. And so what's really the point of praying? You see, if that's all we have, this is where we're all going to leave today and think, well, okay. But somehow that's just not the whole story. There's got to be more. Why would we pray if God's just going to do it anyway? Verse 5. So Jesus said to them, which of you would have a friend? Go to him at midnight and say to him, friend... Lend me three loaves. In other words, if you come at midnight to someone's house for bread, the best thing you can do is start the conversation with the word friend because it's highly in jeopardy at that moment. So here it is in the middle of the night and we've got friend, lend me some bread. Why? Verse 6. For a friend of mine has come to me on a journey and and I have nothing to set before him. See, that's a problem in itself, too. Why don't you have any food? Because all you got is this stupid plastic fruit, nobody can eat it. It's just sitting there. See, that's the problem. If it was real fruit, you wouldn't have to wake me up. I mean, it's in the text. So, sorry. So you come because your friend has come to you and you don't have anything to feed him. And so now you're waking me up. Verse 7, Jesus says that he will answer from within, from within the house, the person who is asleep with his children. He's going to answer and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. In other words, in a Hebrew culture, there'd be a one-room house, maybe a two-room house if you were very affluent, where the kitchen was separate, but everyone lived in one room. You'd roll out a mat. The whole family would sleep together. Why? Because it's freezing cold and there's no heat. That's the way they live. And so, in other words, here it is the middle of the night. We're all in bed. If I get up, I'm going to wake up everyone. You're banging on the door because you need bread. And the last thing... I'm going to do is wake up the kids because then mama's going to be real aggravated, right? In other words, it's like that living in this culture would be like, it's like camping in a tent. And right when you go to sleep, I mean, right when everything gets good, you finally stop stopped listening to the owls and thinking the coyotes are going to eat you and you finally get to sleep and all of a sudden, Dad, Dad, are you asleep? What? i got to go to the bathroom. Here we go out the tent. And it's not just... Now everyone in the whole campsite's awake because they think a bear's coming out as, you know, Colton's trying to get out of the tent and climbing over everything. It's a mess. All because someone needs bread. So he's going to say, Listen, you don't trouble me. I can't get up. Verse 8. I say to you, though you will not rise and give him what he needs because he's a friend... Yet because of his persistence, because he persists in asking, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now this word persistence, the only time in the Bible this word is used. It means shamelessness. It means boldness without shame. It means this audacity to bang on someone's door in the middle of a night because you need some bread. Now, let's understand something. This is not an allegory, this is a parable. In other words, if this was an allegory, then every piece of this would have some spiritual meaning behind it. This is a parable, and so not everything in here is meant to illustrate something to us. And so this is where people get in, in, in trouble because they, they don't understand that the story is not explaining how God answers prayers. Now, how do I know that? Because see, here's what, here's what you could do. You could read this and you could say, okay, um, all right, so Jesus is teaching us how to pray. There's a guy banging on a door because he needs some bread. So that must be me. I must be the guy banging on the door, which means God must be the grumpy guy that's asleep that won't get up and give me any bread. So that must be how God answers prayers. Now, here's the problem with that. The reason that's not true is because Jesus is answering a question. And what is the question? Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, Lord, explain to us how God answers prayers. So he's answering the question they asked him. So this isn't saying that God is a cranky God who's asleep, which would be contrary to Scripture. Isaiah says he never sleeps or slumbers. And he's not cranky, and he's not going to sit there and say, well, if you just keep banging on the door, I'll finally get up. That wouldn't make any sense. I mean, in other words, it's not that if you just pray a prayer one time, God won't answer it. Or that you have to pray it a certain amount of times until He does. Or if me and you just vainly repeat over and over and over and over and over, we're finally going to wear God out so bad He's going to do whatever it is we're asking. None of that makes sense biblically. What He's teaching us is, is that there's this person who's banging on the door at midnight, and that person is us, and that's how we ought to pray. And this ought not be new because we ought to pray like people in the Bible prayed. In other words, why don't we pray like David, a man after God's own heart? That's how David prayed in Psalm 27. David said, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. Doesn't that seem a little harsh, a little forward? I mean, it seems a little demanding, seems a little persistent, a little bold, a little shameless. I mean, who says that to God? Well, David did. In Psalm 143, David said, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. In other words, in the Bible, God delights in His children coming to Him boldly, shamelessly. He's teaching us about how to come to Him. So the the point of the story is this fellow who needs bread. You see, this man... Who needs bread. He knows certain things. He knows that the person whose door he's knocking on has bread. He's not knocking on the door like, do you happen to have any bread? Maybe do you have any bread? Did you bake any today? He knows he has bread. That's why he's boldly banging on the door. Give me some bread. And the Lord's saying, when you pray, you need to pray understanding that God has whatever it is you need. He has it. He doesn't need to go to the store and get it. He doesn't need to bake it. He doesn't need to save up to buy it. He's got it. It's right there in the stockpile, ready to give. He's got it. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In other words, I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. The second thing that this guy knows who's knocking on the door is that the person inside has the ability to give what he has. See, not only does he have it, but he can give it. Because it wouldn't do any good if, it wouldn't do any good if, if some teenager came over to my house and started knocking on my door at midnight. And he's saying, banging on the door saying, hey, give me a hundred dollars. No teenager in my house has a $100. See, you got to ask me. you got to ask Lisa for $100. <laughs> so he realizes that he has and he has the authority. Job says in Job 42, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. In other words, you can do this. So this is where this story is going. Verse 9. Jesus now turns back and says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Then He repeats the same thing again. And He says, For everyone who receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Interesting. The same thing twice. In other words, is what Jesus is saying. We just just ask and seek and knock and whatever we want, God's going to give us. There's a reason why this story is wedged between this model in prayer and then this second parable that's to follow. There's a reason why there's not just this one story from verses 5 to 10 all by itself because you could get really mixed up about what prayer's about and about how this works and about who God is. So this isn't some sort of blank check to just come to God with whatever you want and you're going to get it. It's in the context of how we started in verse 2, 3, and 4 that we're going to come with our desires based on God's desires. Then we're going to understand this is how we approach prayer. So basically, we're going to come to God according to His name. We're going to ask in His name. We're going to seek according to His kingdom. And we're going to knock according to His will. Now... None of this makes any sense apart from the understanding of family. That's the only way any of this would make any sense at all, which is why Jesus finishes with this second parable. Because it, it it wouldn't make any sense. We still I can see it in your faces. You're confused. You're looking at me going, okay, I got all of this, but where does this leave us? How does this work? Well, that's what Jesus is going to pull together for us. He's going to bring this into the context of the way we exist in family with our Heavenly Father. He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, where He gives the same model for prayer. And He says, Your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In other words, He's setting us up for family. Look at verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will He give him a stone? Or if He asks for a fish, will He give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if He asks for an egg, will He give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, here's, here's, let's bring this home. Let's get this point. Everything that I've said this morning about prayer is in the context of A child coming to a father. In other words, Jesus is talking to His disciples and He calls them evil. He says, if you then being evil to His disciples. So what you need to understand is that's us. In other words, He's saying, look, you don't know what to ask for. You don't know. So if you come and ask for a scorpion, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not. If you ask for an egg, I'm not going to give you a scorpion. But if you ask for a scorpion, I'm not going to give you a scorpion. You know why? Because your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. He's going to give you what you need, not what you ask for. Now, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. We're all children, and He's our heavenly Father. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if kids get everything they ask for, it won't take long for the entire world to crash. Right? Because suddenly we'll all eat popsicles every meal of the day. I mean, everything will be a catastrophe. I mean, kids ask for crazy things. And they come as if they're insane and ask you. I mean, my kids come to me, and say, I mean, now. Not when they were five, now. Dad, I need to ask you something, okay? Do you think I could get a motorcycle? What? You don't even have a driver's license. But they get good gas mileage. No, you can't have a motorcycle, Ever. Until you leave my house and get your own health insurance. That's just a crazy question. But see, kids ask those questions. So what, what am I saying here? Do I give him a motorcycle? No. But I delight in giving him what he needs. In other words, I don't say, no, you can't have a motorcycle. Now get away from me. I say... No, you can't have... I'd say, go ask your mom. <laughs> what? A motorcycle? No. I'd say, but, but here's, here's what we will do. My poor family. Well, here's what we will do. Here's what we will do. In other words, this man who comes and bangs on the door feels an awful close attachment to whoever lives inside. In other words, God's saying, what I want you to understand is that you're children. You don't know what you need, but I do and I delight in giving it to you. But here's how I want you to pray. I want you to respond to me as if you needed a loaf of bread... You see, no one's dying, there's no catastrophe, all you need is bread. I want you to respond to me as if you needed bread, but you feel so comfortable in your relationship as my son or my daughter that you come bang on my door in the middle of the night and ask me for bread. God's inviting you with boldness and shamelessness to come to him for whatever you need to bang on his door and say God that nothing's too small nothing's too simple, too frivolous come and say God I need help and God your heavenly father delights in that and he says that's good that's how you respond to me and then he says be persistent now he's not saying that if you only pray something one time it won't work Because I know tons of little simple things that we pray one time that work. Why does He say be persistent? Why? Because He loves you. And He's trying to tell you I want to talk with you. I want you to pray. I want to be involved in your life. I don't want to hear from you once a year. I want to hear from you 50 times a day. I want you to just knock and knock and knock and knock and ask and ask and ask. And know that I hear. And when it doesn't work out the way you think, it's not because I didn't hear. It's because you didn't need that. Because I'm always going to give you what you need. I'm always here to care for you. To watch over you. To look out for your best interest. Because you are my children. And I love you. And I'm not going to give you a scorpion or a serpent. I'm going to give you what's good. Don't you see? God's saying, come. Come and, and, and pray. And pray a lot. Because I want to spend time with you. I want to hear from you. I delight in that. And it doesn't matter. No matter how small or how big. Because listen. You know what I don't want? I'm an evil heavenly, I'm an evil earthly father. You know what I don't want? I don't want people in my life that I love only to come to me in the big moments of life when they need something. I don't want that. I want them to come and sit in my lap all the time and just tell me what's going on in their life and say, hey, Dad, pray for me because I got a big spelling test or will you just pray that it won't rain today because I spent 17 hours fixing my hair or whatever the case may be, just yes. Yes. Yes, I will. Because I love you and I delight in hearing what's on your mind and what you're interested in and what you're facing. It matters to me. And that's what God's teaching. He's saying, I love you. Come pray. Don't quit. Don't just knock one time. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Because I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But you know what? I love you so much that I'm always going to respond in the perfection of my will, because I am perfect. I never make a mistake. And so what you need to understand is that however this turns out, it's for the best. Whether you ever realize it in this life or not, trust me because I love you. Well, well God, I'm not sure. How do I know that? How do I know? Because I've proven it to you. In other words, what more could God have done? What more could He have done? Some, there's some people in this room and you're bitter because you have been praying for something and God has not done what you want Him to do and you're upset about that. And you're angry at your Heavenly Father right now because He hasn't done what you... And you say, but how could this be good? How? Here's my question for you. What more could God do to prove His love for you than slaughter His Son? One more. And that just maybe... What you need to hear this morning is that God has been hearing you the whole time. And He's delighted. And you're bitter and hard-hearted. And He's delighting in the fact that you're coming to Him and praying. And He's hearing you. And it's breaking His heart because you're asking for something that's absolutely, positively not good for you. And so He's doing what's good for you. And you're getting angry at the one who's saying, No, come. Just come. See, God doesn't say just come and pray the right prayer to me. Because we don't know. He says, you don't know the right prayer. Don't worry about that. Just come and pray. Just talk. Because I love you. I mean, maybe this morning you're here and you're not a believer. Maybe you're not a believer and you struggle with this issue of, well, would God ever accept me? Would He ever use me? Would He love me? Would He? I just don't understand this. How could I be engaged in a relationship with someone I can't see? And for the first time, you realize that God loves people. And Jesus is about His proof that God loves people. That He killed His Son so that you would know that He loves you and that you could have a relationship with Him. And He's saying, now I want you to come and just keep coming. Don't quit. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the night and all you need is bread. Come on, I love you. I love you. Come on. That's what prayer is all about. It's about the realization that our Heavenly Father loves us and He hears us and He will always do that which is best for us. So why? Why would we not be a people marked by prayer? Not emergency prayer but everyday continual prayer. God, thank You. My, my guess is, is that we're going to get to heaven. And there's going to be a whole lot of repenting going on about all the things that we ask God for that He didn't do and we're sure glad He didn't. We're going to realize that God... Was loving us in a perfect love the whole entire time. That he never missed a beat. Come with boldness and just say, God, here, here's where I am. I, I, I desire your will, I desire your glory. Sometimes I pray and I don't even know what I'm praying. I just say, God, I don't even know the solution, but you do. So will you just fix it? Fix it your way. That's what I'm asking for because I don't know what to ask for. And even when I think I know, I'm still going, God, but I'm probably wrong because I usually am. So just do it your way. But I'm here. I'm knocking. Come on. I, I, I don't know that there's another passage in the Bible that would any more illustrate the love that God has for us. Then this issue of prayer. He wants to know you. He wants to spend time with you. Don't forsake the gift of prayer. It's the most powerful thing that you harness on this earth is prayer. Apart from prayer, you're going to do a lot of things that aren't going to amount to anything. But with prayer, you can do this kind of ministry the kind of ministry that changes the people's lives that you come in contact with through prayer. Let's stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for teaching us and showing us, Lord, how much You love us today. Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's those here today who need it desperately to be reminded about the great love that You have for them. Father, thank You for the invitation to come and pray boldly. And I pray that You'll just wrap Your loving arms around each one of us today and call us unto You that, Lord, we would all be drawn to You in prayer to pray more than we're praying right now. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, that there might be those here today that are apart from You, that don't know You, they haven't been adopted into Your family. And, Lord God, you're. Available today, Lord, that you drawing them today. That, fa- Father, through the truth of prayer, they begin to realize that there's a place at your table for them. God, I pray that they would come today and pray. Receive you as Lord and Savior. Take their place at the family table. Father, will you do in this time what only you can do? Join those with us who you're drawing to be a part of this fellowship, God. Just glorify yourself in this time as we pray to a good Heavenly Father who loves us.